All right. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up to Psalm 146. We're going to be looking at that psalm this morning. We have a big election this week. And the best way, or I guess question, what is the best way that we can prepare for this election? Well, I, I think today's psalm actually helps us to answer this question. And the answer that it gives is that the best way we can prepare is to worship. Because worship corrects our perspective. It takes our eyes from whatever we're looking at and it redirects them upward, up to where we should be looking, up to God. That's what worship does. And we desperately need this reorientation. After all, many voices around us are shouting their perspectives to us. They're pulling us hard to get us to see things the way they want us to see them. And some of us are, are listening to these voices more than we're listening to the voice of God. Let me ask you, how much time in the past several weeks have you spent listening to talk radio commentators or reading your favorite newspaper or news site? And how much time have you spent meditating and studying on God's word? The political noise around us is so loud and it aims to make us, as, as Greg reminded us last week, it aims to make us afraid, very afraid. Afraid of what might happen if the other side wins. And so, boy, do we need perspective. We need someone, we need something to lift our eyes above the storm so that we can see the Lord of the storm. The Lord who is greater than the storm. The Lord who is in control over the storm. We need to worship. Let me give you an illustration. I can get quite emotionally involved in my sports teams, believe it or not. And uh, I can't watch a game while checking email or doing my taxes or, or some other task like that because I hang on every pitch and every play of the game. And, and I find some games, especially big games, are almost too suspenseful to watch, like game seven of the ALDS recently. I tell my kids that I would prefer a complete blowout any day over a dramatic come from behind victory. I can't take the suspense. <laughs> and one time, the only time I can enjoy a dramatic come from behind win is if I already know ahead of time how it turned out. Like when I wake up the next morning, I haven't watched the game. I see that my team has won. Then I can go back and I can watch the highlights and I can get excited about how my team pulled it off in the closing minutes of the game. Well, worship is like that. Worship is like knowing how it turns out when it comes to life. When we worship, it's not that we see how everything is going to turn out in every detail, but what we do see is the one who is going to work everything out. And we are reminded that that one is in charge of the outcome and that that one is more than able to make sure that in the end, things turn out for the good. So as we look at Psalm 146 this morning, I want to invite us to let it lead us into worship. To let it lift our eyes up to the one who sits on the throne. This particular psalm has to do with 
princes, with government leaders, with rulers. And so it's very appropriate on the eve of a big election. Let me remind us what the Psalms are. The Psalms are a collection of songs and poems and prayers that were used in temple worship by the Jewish people. They were the uh, they were get these uh, Psalms were gathered into a song book, a worship book to guide and to resource worshipers and worship planners who were gathering for in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem for worship. This particular psalm, psalmists think, was probably written after Israel's exile in Babylon. Sorry, rather, psalmists don't think that. Scholars think that. Um, they think it was written after the exile. And, and we'll come back to that. That will be important later. But let's look at where this psalm begins. This psalm begins by inviting us to worship. Praise the Lord, it begins. This is an imperative. It's an exhortation. Praise the Lord. That's what we're here to do. That's why we've gathered, because we realize that we need to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our circumstances, and back onto our God. And so we praise him. To praise someone means to give them honor, to exclaim their great qualities. And when you praise someone or something worthy of praise, you're doing something that's completely natural and appropriate. Who doesn't praise a beautiful sunset? Who doesn't, uh, what lover doesn't praise their beloved? It's just a natural response to something awesome, something that we're taking delight and joy in, something that's movingly beautiful. We almost can't help but praise it. And so the psalmist is saying, come on, let's remember who God is. Let's praise the Lord. And so right off here, we are elevating God above the other things that we praise. We're putting God in, in his rightful place above other things, like that new movie we saw, which we were praising to our friends, or that hot car that we noticed, or that amazing restaurant, these other things that we praise. All these other things which draw our attention and which in, inspire us to, to praise. The psalmist says, come on, lift up your eyes even higher and look again at how much more amazing the Lord is. Remember how more than anything else, our God is worthy of praise. I know someone who was once in a romantic relationship and um, some of those around her weren't sure that this guy was good for her, uh, but she was really serious with him. And because, you know, maybe he was far from perfect, but at least she had him, right? If she let him go, she had no one. And that would be scary. Well, around that time, she went on an overseas trip and she got away from this guy and she got some space and some perspective. And she saw that there was a big world out there and she met some other guys. And, and this was impactful for her, enough so that when she got home, guess what she did? She broke up with the guy that she was dating. Why? Because her eyes had been lifted up to a bigger perspective. And that's what praise does. It lifts our eyes up to something bigger, someone even more worthy of praise than all the other stuff we settle for. I don't know about you, but, but I find it hard. To worship, especially on Zoom. 
we come with, with so many things on our minds, so many concerns, so many thoughts, so many distractions. It's not easy to lift up our eyes beyond all of that and to focus on God. And, and the psalmist recognizes this. And so what the psalmist says next is, Give yourself a little encouragement, a little help to worship. Talk to yourself. Give yourself a pep talk. Tell yourself, tell your soul to praise the Lord. Say, hey, self, hey, soul, praise the Lord. You see that in verse one? Look up beyond your own preoccupations. Talk to yourself. Tell yourself, get your eyes on the Lord. And then look at verse two. The psalmist makes a commitment to him or herself. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. I'm going to keep at this worship business. I'm not going to give up on it. I'm going to make it a habit. I'm going to make it a preoccupation of my life. I'm committed to it for the long haul. Why? Well, the psalmist doesn't give a reason right in verse 2, but later we see why. Verse 6, because the Lord remains faithful forever. God remains faithful. God remains committed to us. God commits to being available to us. God commits to being there for us. This isn't a casual dating relationship, spiritually speaking. It's not a passing fancy. No, this is a commitment for the long haul. That's God's nature. It's to be faithful. It's to commit to us, to enter into a long-term love relationship with his people. And here the psalmist is saying, that's the kind of relationship I want. I'm in this with God for the long haul. I may stray. I may wander. I may lose my perspective. We all do, right? But I'm going to keep coming back. I'm committed to continually getting my eyes back on God. I'm committed to time after time lifting my eyes back up to God. I'm committed to a life of worship and a habit of praise. Okay, well, we've, we've come to worship, and this psalm is, is here to lead us, to help us, it, it, and it encourages us to praise God, to get our eyes on God, and that in the church service is what we call the call to worship. It, it's what sets the scene for us. It's what reorients us. It, it reminds us of why we're here. So that's what verses 1 and 2 are about. But then in this psalm comes the sermon. This is where God speaks to us, where God's word breaks through the noise and we clear our minds and we open our ears and our hearts and we let God address us. We listen for what God has to say. Verse three, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. How's that for a relevant word coming into this week's election? <laughs> to think that this psalm was written well over 2,000 years ago, it's an age-old temptation to put our trust in rulers, in leaders. After all, we look around and we feel insecure. We feel afraid. And so we look for someone strong, someone powerful, and we put our trust in them and we hang our hopes on them. We make a bargain with them, even a Faustian bargain. We give them what they demand in order for them to be our protectors and our defenders. 
Don't do it, our preacher tells us in this psalm this morning. Have you forgotten about God? Don't put your trust, don't put your hope in earthly princes. Put your trust and your hope in the Lord. You see, this is what happens when we forget. When we forget to worship, when we forget who God is, we go looking for some other strong one to put our trust in. Don't do it, the preacher warns us. Why? Because princes can't save. Interesting, the Hebrew word in verse 3 translated human being or man in English, it's the Hebrew word Adam, which first shows up right in the very opening story of the Bible with Adam. Adam can be translated Adam, it can be translated man or human being, and, and there's a play on it with the Hebrew word Adama, which means dust or ground. Adam, man, human being. Adama, dust, ground. The psalmist is reminding us, don't put your trust in dust. Verse 3, princes, human beings, human leaders, Adam. When their spirit departs, verse 4, they return to the Adama. They return to the dust. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. So don't put your trust in princes. Don't put your trust in Biden. He can't save you. Don't put your trust in Trump. He can't save you. Don't put your trust in either one of them. They can't save. They are just fallible, mortal, dust creatures. When their spirits depart, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Boy, if we as a church could get a hold of this, it would transform us. Then verse 5. The psalmist points out the, the way to wisdom, the, the way of blessing, the way of happiness. He says, blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Help, hope, where is your help? Where is your hope? If we would put our trust in God instead of in this candidate or that candidate, it would take all of the fear-mongering, all of the catastrophizing out of this election. If we really let the Lord be our help and our hope, we might actually be able to take a deep breath and love our neighbors and love even our enemies and work for unity and for peace, and for reconciliation, which actually is what Jesus told us to be about anyway, right? It begins with worship, with praising God, getting our eyes on the Lord, and putting human princes back into proper perspective. Well, that's what the psalmist helps us to do next in verse 6. The psalmist says, the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth the sea and everything in them. The Lord made Trump. The Lord made Biden. The Lord made the nations. The Lord made the environment, the creation. Do you think that any man or woman is going to solve all of our problems? Look to your creator first and foremost. Look to the one who is far greater, far smarter, far more powerful, who made all of these things. 
Have you ever noticed around election time, there will be one issue or usually a few issues that the candidates will campaign on? They're gonna do this, they're gonna do that. They're gonna fix this problem, they're gonna solve that problem. But have you noticed that time and again, what winds up defining a presidency is rarely what they campaigned on, but rather something that came up that no one could have anticipated at election day, like a pandemic or 9-11, or the war in Iraq, or a market crash. You see, there are bigger forces at play than any human prince can anticipate or control. And those are under the control of the maker of heaven and earth. Well, then the psalm adds of our maker, he remains faithful forever. The psalmist is speaking of as one of God's people here, one of the people to whom God had made a covenant and promised to be faithful, one of God's people to whom God said, you are my people and I am your God and I am committing myself to you forever. And so for us, this applies to anyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ and who has chosen to follow Christ. If you have given your allegiance to Christ, then you are part of God's people and God will remain faithful to you forever. More faithful, more uh, committed than human princes will be. More faithful than Trump, your Lord will be. More faithful than Biden. God will be there for you and with you through thick and thin. Long after these earthly princes are gone and have returned to the ground and are merely a footnote in the history books. Are you getting the picture that the psalmist is trying to help us to see? Do you realize that worship is a political act? Worship is political and public. It's not just some private act that you do in your heart that's just spiritual and has nothing to do with the public world. No, God is saying, I'm just as much king as any earthly king is and more. And if you're trusting them... You're not trusting me. In other words, you can't be a Republican first and then a Christian. Or a Democrat first and then a Christian. Or even an American first and then a Christian. You have to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a worshiper of God first, and then let all political allegiances fall in behind as secondary. The danger is that we so elevate our political hopes that we make God secondary. And I'd say this is exactly what's happening again and again in churches and among Christians all over America today. We somehow think our faith functions on a different plane than our politics. And so we can act like Trump or Biden is our only hope and then we think we can still worship God. No, it's not both and. It's either or. Either Trump is your hope, Biden is your hope, or God is your hope. And sure, if God is your hope, then go and vote. Voting matters. Please vote. Pick the better candidate as best as you can tell. But don't let that prince be your hope. Don't seek your help there. Put your hope in God. Look to the Lord for help. Because God is your maker. All of our maker. 
and God is faithful to his people forever. Well, the psalmist isn't quite done preaching yet. (laughs) He's got one more thing to say to us about politics, one more thing about God to make clear as we worship, as we reorient our perspective on God. Remember I said this psalm was likely written after the exile, after Israel had suffered the humiliation and the catastrophe of being conquered and decimated and oppressed and carted off. They had lost their independence. They had lost their power and their wealth. They'd gone from being haves to being have-nots. They'd become the oppressed and the victimized. And it shaped their psyches individually and as a nation. Because life looks very different from the bottom than it does from the top. And God looks very different from the bottom than from the top. And when you're at the bottom, what you discover is that God is with you there. That God cares for the victims and the oppressed. That God cares for the poor and those who have no voice and who get no justice. That God is there with them and for them. And so in contrast to princes who have power and honor and riches and prosperity, the psalmist says, yeah, don't be too enamored by all that. Don't think you'll find God amidst all that power and glamour. No, come with me and look at how the other half live. Come with me and find God among the poor. Because verse 7, God is for the poor. The Lord upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. And by the way, back at that time, prison wasn't where you found murderers or thieves. They had other punishments for such people. Prison was where they sent debtors and uh, the, the, the poor who couldn't pay their debts and where they sent dissidents and conquered rulers and the elites of other countries who were on the wrong side of of a battle, those who got on the wrong side of political conflicts or, or economic transactions, those people, the psalmist says, the Lord sets free. Then he continues, verse eight, the Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Then listen, there's more, verse nine, the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, and he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Who is God with? Who is God there for? Listen to this list. The oppressed, the hungry, the prisoner, the blind, the one who's bowed down, the righteous, the foreigner, the immigrant, the orphan, the widow. That's who this psalm says God is there for. So as we vote this week, let's keep that in mind. Keep in mind who God is in solidarity with. God's primary concern isn't to maintain the lifestyle of the middle class, to ensure their security and their prosperity so that they can keep all that they have. No, it's right here in this psalm. God is concerned for the have-nots for the poor, for the vulnerable, for the immigrant, for those who have a hard time getting justice, for those who have no one sticking up for them. Those are the ones God upholds. Again, we can't trust princes to take care of these people. We should challenge princes too, absolutely. We should speak truth to power. But often what we find is princes forget. 
the little people, the needy people. But God is for these people. God does not forget them. And God will be against anyone who gets in the way or ignores or works against God's efforts to lift such people up. Again, we're here to worship. We're here to praise God, to remember who God is. And let that lift up our eyes so that we get our heads on straight about what matters and where our help is found. And part of what we discover as we focus on God is that God is with those on the bottom. And that's such a concern of this psalmist that he devotes almost half the psalm to it as you just read the psalm. And if you've read all the Psalms, this is not an isolated Psalm. Again and again, the poor, the needy, the oppressed come up in the Psalms as those God is specially concerned about. And that's got to affect our politics, how we vote. Because if it doesn't, we wind up putting people into a power who just oppose God and God's concerns. Okay, sermon over, the preacher's done. All that's left now is the closing song, verse 10. The Lord reigns forever. The Lord, not Trump, not Biden. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Princes will come and go, but the Lord reigns forever. Praise the Lord. So are you worshiping this morning? Are are we getting our eyes off of all those other perspectives away from all those other voices, and are we getting our eyes back on God? Do we see afresh this morning in the psalm what God is like, that he alone is worthy of praise, that he is our help and our hope, and that we are not to put our trust in princes? If we can do that, if we can get that perspective, then we are ready to go and vote. Let me just close by reading our psalm one more time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord sustains, or sorry, the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, over all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's respond by worshiping.